You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Bibles, we're on page 551. Hallelujah. My soul, praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing to my God as long as I live. Do not trust in nobles, in a son of man who cannot save. When his breath leaves him, he returns to the ground. On that day, his plans die. Happy is the one whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever, executing justice for the exploited and giving food to the hungry. The Lord frees prisoners. The Lord opens eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects resident aliens and helps the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Zion, your God reigns for all generations. Hallelujah. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. I haven't yet met you. My name's Jonathan. I'm the pastor here, and we are going to jump straight in to Psalm 146, because every week I say to these guys uh, on the team, as we pray for you before the service, I I say every week as we come to a new psalm, you know, I think this might be a a 20-minute number, and I have not preached under 50 this year, so today is the day, all right? So we're going to jump, we're going to jump straight in, and I'm going to tell you uh, and just remind you of the key that we've been using to help Uh, decipher what kind of psalm we have been looking at from week to week. You can do this with all 150 psalms uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, Walter Brueggemann's little key, uh, very simple, possibly simplistic, but helpful way of understanding the psalms, and that is we have psalms of orientation, disorientation, new orientation. I won't go over old ground again. You can look back. I've mentioned this just about every week uh, that I've preached this year. But just so you know, this psalm this morning is a psalm of orientation. That is, the psalmist knows who God is, knows who he is in light of who God is, and, and lays out for us a song that describes the way the world is and should be, with God ruling on the throne and us as his faithful people. So, he begins with this call to us, uh, a call to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone who trusts in Him, even as we stumble, those of us who desire to walk in Jesus' footsteps, He puts this call out to us in in verse 1 and 2, and then at the end at verse 10. The psalmist will often do this in, in, in his poems, in his songs, bookend them with these two great calls. So, he says, verse 1 and 2, hallelujah, it's just Hebrew for praise the Lord, hallelujah, my soul, Praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord all of my life. 
I will sing to my God as long as I live. And then verse 10, the rejoinder, the Lord reigns forever. Zion, that is God's faithful people. Your God reigns for all generations. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Orientation. We were made, friends, we were made to worship God. We were made to say with gusto, hallelujah, praise the Lord. We were made to say it. We were made to sing it. In the great Westminster Catechism, it tells us, the very first question that's asked is, um, well, I've got it on the screen. Forget the little... uh, the, the attribution there that comes later. We're going to hear from Lloyd-Jones later. This is from the Westminster Catechism, the shorter one. It says, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's why you are here. In a world, in, the, in living in the midst of the world that is absolutely lost when it comes to a sense of purpose, where so many are throwing away any idea of purpose and embracing purposelessness. You can say as God's man and God's woman, as God's child, I'm here, I exist for this reason, for this purpose, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And that forever starts now, that forever includes all of your life, every breath that you take, such that every moment is a moment of holiness, of sacredness. Now, I believe all of that with all of my heart, but I also know that this is not, this doesn't work mechanistically. It's not as if God creates you for His glory and then just winds you up and sets you off and every minute of every day you're just giving Him glory. It doesn't work like that. Amen? Do we have anyone who... No. There was one guy who did that, but only one. And so for us, this is a battle. For us, this is a daily battle to live out our purpose to glorify God in everything we do. Paul says to the Corinthian church, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So irrespective of what your day looks like, your pounding hours in the office, you're at home raising children, you're currently between jobs, like you're homeless, you're a grandparent, like it just doesn't matter whatever Whatever your day consists of, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. There is no secular and sacred in the kingdom of God. Every moment is a sacred opportunity to worship God. This is what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 43. He says, God speaking through the prophet God speaking to his chosen people, his elect, he says, Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, even to Australia, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, even Caroline Springs. 
everyone who bears my name and is created for my glory. Do you bear God's name? Is it written on your heart? If the answer is yes, then it's clear you have been created for his glory. Sometimes all of this just sinks up, hopefully occasionally in this very room on a Sunday morning, hopefully frequently outside of this room. My wife Renee and my daughter India are not here today. They have um, gone into the city together. They're staying in a, a hotel and this has been planned for a long time for them to have this special mummy-daughter time for them to work through a whole bunch of important stuff um, that they need to work through now that she's, uh, my daughter is 11 and growing up. And so anyway, Judah and I have been left at home, fend for ourselves. And, uh, but we did get a little bit of time in there at this really lovely hotel in the city. And we were in there and we were swimming in the pool, all four of us. And they, um, we we're the only ones in there, in this amazing pool, um, looking out onto the city below and uh, the kids are playing around and doing their thing and Renee and I having a little cuddle in the corner um, and then they just uh, all of a sudden they started playing some music and we were chatting and then both of us stopped and we could we could both tell that we were both listening to something and we're like I think we know this I recognize this song. And then all of a sudden, India's voice bellows out from the other end of the pool, this is a worship song! <laughs> and then for the next, I don't know, Judah, I don't know if you remember, it must have been a couple of hours, it w- they were just playing the worship playlist in this hotel in the middle of this city and people would come in and, and we were watching some people and they would sort of cock their ear as it, the song is saying like, Jesus' name is to be praised and... Um, and at first, it was a little bit weird. Like, those songs happen in this place, in the sacred place, not in the secular, dirty, you know, outs in the world. And then all of that got corrected, just as we settled in and enjoyed not only being in this special place for this special time together, but hearing God's name be praised in the midst of it. That's the new creation. That's what will be. And it comes in every now and then and surprises us. And I said, you know, this is, this is probably the best half hour I've had in years. In this pool, with my loved ones, the worship of Jesus echoing through the place. Because it's right. It's what we're made for. And yet... We've got to come back to the stark reality. We'll have a time of confession before communion later on. We're going to have to deal with the stark reality that we constantly fall short of the glory of God. That is, we fall short of that which we were made for. It's a battle. Ever, I was saying to the guys at the meeting before uh, the, the service this morning, no one walks in here, or very rarely does a person walk in here, myself included, primed to worship God. Most of us need to be called. Our affections need to be stirred. 
right? Our hearts need to be awakened and warmed to the, these realities. So you have all through life, I hope, this constant call and, and a beckoning response. It's an invitation from a God who loves you and knows why you were created and knows how it is that you will experience maximum joy in this life. This is constant invitation to you. It comes through many different means and mediums. It comes through the creation. You're going to see this a little later on. But the heavens declare the glory of God. You're meant to look out the window there at that bellowing 40-degree north wind and say, God is incredible. He beckons us through creation. We can walk through all of life trained on our own agendas, completely ignoring the voice that echoes through the universe. God is glorious. We can ignore that voice. We can put blinkers on and be immersed and subsumed into our own agendas. Or we can hear it and respond with joyful praise. It comes through creation. It comes through His Word. I mean, literally, the words that we're reading now, this is an imperative. Worship the Lord. Do it. Praise God. I know that we can be, because we're trying to be really... um, we're trying to be, make this place really comfortable for people who aren't yet Christians or visitors. And so we might say from time to time, you know, if you want to sing, then please do sing. But if you're a Christian, you need to hear the imperative, praise the Lord. I don't care how you feel. <laughs> I've done that before. I've just, I've sat through the first song because I just, I'm just not into it yet. You know, I'm just, I'm in touch with my feelings. And I'm just not feeling. God says, don't be an idiot. <laughs> don't be immature. Don't be so absorbed in your own agendas. Oh, you're feeling a little bit down, are you? Oh. No, God says, no, stand up, praise me. Because he knows that's the pathway to joy. That's what you were made for. He doesn't want you settling for less than that. So he does this through creation. He does it through his Words. He does it hopefully through the church. Hopefully this church is a church that is constantly calling you to praise God, not praise me. I hope we never adopt a form of worship, a form of singing or preaching that even unintentionally causes you to worship someone up here. God, save us from that. That's the pathway to destruction, both for the church itself and the people who go to it. And, and, and tragically, it happens. So may this church be a church that deflects all praise and glory and honor to the one who actually deserves it, the only one. Creation, the Bible, the church, and, and, and ourselves. You're meant to be one of the means that God uses to call you to worship.
That's what the psalmist does. That's why he says, right, verse 1, praise the Lord, hallelujah, my soul, he speaks to himself. My soul, you listening? Soul, praise the Lord. This is what the psalmist does brilliantly all through the Psalms. Psalm 42, why are you downcast on my soul? Why so dispirited within me? Put your trust in God, right? He, t- he preaches to himself. Soul, I can see you're dry. I can see you're depressed. I can see you're anxious. I can see you're worried. I can see that you're self-obsessed. Soul, my soul, praise the Lord. Do it. The great Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great preacher, theologian for the last century, he wrote this book called Spiritual Depression where he, he works through all of the reasons that all of us as Christians find ourselves wandering away from the Lord. We've been plunged into dryness and despair. He writes this of, the, of these psalms that address the soul. He says, The ultimate cause of all spiritual depression is unbelief. For if it were not for unbelief, even the devil could do nothing. What about the treatment? He's a medical doctor, so this is how he thinks. Right? Here's the diagnosis. What about the treatment? The first thing we have to learn is what the psalmist learned. We must learn to take ourselves in hand. Right? That is to, to examine our hearts and then preach to ourselves. My soul, praise the Lord. This is the very essence of wisdom in this matter. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? So here's the challenge when we come in. Don't sit down and go, now how am I feeling right now? I didn't have a very good breakfast and the kids kept me up during the night and so therefore I'm feeling a little bit depressed and I'm just not, I just, I'm just not into it, you know? There's a very postmodern way of, view, of viewing your relationship with God. I'm just not there right now. I'm not ready to commit. The psalmist is so much more wise. He has ancient wisdom. So instead of listening to himself, he speaks to himself. My soul, praise the Lord. Now, where we go wrong, where we get disorientated, where, where, we, where we, start, as we start to see ourselves as sovereign Lord, we, we put ourselves on the throne of the universe, we see ourselves as worthy of worship, The chief end of man is to worship myself and enjoy myself forever, where we get disorientated in this way, is when we put ourselves or or any created thing on that that throne. You might say, well, I never put myself on that throne. What, What about your spouse? Do you ever find yourself putting your spouse on the throne? Or God forbid, your children. God forbid that you would put your children on the throne or even just the, uh, the idea of family, something our culture is very adept at. The most important thing in the world is family. No! And if we make it the most important thing in the world, then we damn it. We damn it. 
The old saying, whatever we idolize, we will eventually demonize. Whatever we force into God's place, we will end up hating. Why? Because it will always disappoint us. If you find yourself resenting your spouse, it could be that he's a moron, or it could be that you expect him to be Jesus. Now, yes, he's called to love you like Christ loved the church, but you know that only Jesus himself can actually deliver on that promise. If you put your children on the throne of God, you will demonize them. You will crush them. They, they will be compacted under the weight of a responsibility that God never gave them, never designed them for. Whatever we idolize, we will eventually demonize. We do this in, in different ways. And everything is a potential idol. That's why life is so fraught. God forbid spouse or children, or, or the, listen, the worst thing you could do, just the worst thing you could do is to take the pastor of this church or any other one and put them on the throne. the destruction of that man or woman is assured as soon as you do it. Some of the um, deep disappointment that you guys have felt as members of this stumbling church is because of my ineptitude, my limitations. And that I have to own and put it all under the blood of Jesus and ask for his mercy and grace to fill up the gaps. That's a daily thing that I have to do because I'm so aware of my limitations. But some of that disappointment is the result of pedestaling a man or a leadership team that was never designed to be pedestaled. Don't put us on the throne. God forbid it. This is his exhortation in verse 3 to 4. Do not trust in nobles or princes or rulers or anyone in authority, in a son of man, that is, any human being who cannot save. When his breath leaves him, he returns to the ground. On that day, his plans die. Don't put your trust in someone mortal. They're here for a moment and then they're gone. You have great plans for your own life, for your family, for your church, for a nation. You can have great plans and all of them die eventually. So he says, don't put your hope, don't put your trust, don't find refuge in, another psalm says, do not find refuge in man rather than God because man cannot save. Man is mortal. His plans die when he does. I remember a few years ago, on this very stage, in the middle of a sermon, 
I had this huge revelation. I don't know if you've ever had a revelation when I've been in the middle of a sermon, but I've had at least one, and it was this, and it was crushing. It was the idea that in a very short time, no one is going to know who I am or was. At the most 100 years from now, no one is going to know my name (laughs) or anything I did. And you know what? That is good news. Because I've noticed in the last kind of 10, 15 years, we've talked a lot about legacy, which is fine. You know, you want, a, a, you, you want to leave your family or your church a legacy of faithfulness. I get that. But if you mean I want to be remembered and honored after I'm dead, I hope that they'll put a statue up in CS Square of me and my Bible yelling at someone, then... That's no legacy. That's idolatry. And I got confronted by this because I want some I want some of that worship. When his breath leaves him. When they dump his body in the ground and cover it over. On that day, his plans die. Ali mentioned that Reese Bazant is going to be preaching here next week, and um, he's a, a lecturer at, at Ridley College, where I went to school, and a, a good friend. And I was listening to a podcast he was on. He's just been over to America. Spends a lot of time in the USA. He's a scholar of Jonathan Edwards, the, the American theologian, and so he spends a lot of time at universities over there, and I was, happened to be listening to a podcast, and he was a guest on it, and they were talking about the failing of the modern church when it comes to this thing, like this grab for celebrity, this, this grab for notoriety. And he said something that really stuck out to me. He said, what I want to be is faithful and then forgotten. <laughs> faithful and then forgotten. That's a real challenge if you have any measure of ego like I do. Lord God, I just want to be faithful to the days that you've given me. Today could be my last. So each day, in every moment of holiness, I want to be faithful. And then, forgotten. There's this real interesting illustration of this in the New Testament. Uh, I, I came across it this past couple of weeks because it's somewhere where the Apostle Paul quotes this psalm, and it's very pertinent to what we've been talking about. So in Acts chapter 14, you have, um, you have Paul uh, uh, mo- moving through the Greek world and encountering Greek mythology, religion of the day, uh, Zeus and um, Hermes and all those guys. And, uh, and he, here's, here's what happens, and you notice his response. So Acts f- uh, 14, verse 8, In Lystra, a man was sitting who was without strength in his feet. He had never walked and had been lame from birth. He listened as Paul spoke, and looking directly at him and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, Stand up on your feet! And he jumped up 
and began to walk around. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Now, that's what we all want somewhere. The statue, right? The book written about you. The, you know, in 50 years' time, everyone here saying, well, the church has never been as good as when John I was here. You know, he was, that was the golden age, right? That desire, the gods have come down among us. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, brought bulls and wreaths to the gates because he intended, with the crowds, to offer sacrifice. Now, what's their response? The apostles Barnabas and Paul tore their robes when they heard this and rushed into the crowd, shouting, People! Why are you doing these things? We are people also just like you. And we are proclaiming good news to you that you turn from these worthless things to the living God. Psalm 146, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them. Why are you doing these things? We just want to be faithful and then forgotten. The path of joy and fulfillment and purposefulness is not the worship of people. In our case, it's not Zeus and Hermes, we think, how oh, those morons believed in those false gods. Who are we worshipping? Celebrities. Like, you're better off with Zeus, honestly. He's not going to be cancelled. Well, he probably did get cancelled, actually. He was a bit of a, a mongrel. But all of that false worship that all of us are prone to do is worthlessness. We've been called away from worthlessness to worship the living God who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and everything in them. And it's instructive, I think, verse 5 to 6, that this is where he goes in that situation. He says, quoting the psalm, Happy is the one whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. Long after you are worm food, God remains faithful forever. The psalmist, Paul in Lystra, they're calling, calling people to put God in his rightful place. God is on the throne. God is the Lord of creation. This has been key for, key for me because I can get absolutely absorbed and, and drowned in my work. And how easy is it for me? Because I can just baptize it all and say, well, it's for the Lord. Nonsense. Whenever I get, whenever I get drowned in my work, it's clear that I'm not doing it for the Lord anymore. But I'm trying to build my legacy, build my brand, build my church. times where I have fallen into deep burnout and depression are just the fruits of self-worship. So this has become key for me. This is part of my remediation, part of my, um, as a kind of prophylactic against 
worship of self, I try and spend as much time as I can in God's beautiful creation. Because you cannot stand at the top of Werribee Gorge and look down into that valley and say, I'm really something special, you know. Nearly all the seats were filled on Sunday. My sermon's been downloaded 12 times. Wow. This is part of the remedy. The psalmist does it. Paul does it with those Greeks. They say, listen, God is the one who made it all. To be overwhelmed with the works of God is, is, a tr- is part of true discipleship to the Lord Jesus. On our, you know, I told you on our recent holiday earlier in January, we uh, went up to Taggarty, which is up near Alexandra, near Blake Eildon. We went up and... I was going to say we went camping. It was glamping. There was very little resemblance to camping. Uh, There was a fridge and a shower. So anyway, the walls of our place were canvas, so I guess we were camping in a way. Anyway, Renee and I found ourselves outside one night after the kids were asleep or pretending to be, and we were just looking up at the sky, unpolluted by city lights. And we didn't say much because we were just... It was breathtaking to see that piece of art and to know the creator of it as father is, is at once humbling and um, invigorating. It reminds us who we are and how feeble we are and at the same time charges the batteries of our faith. And luckily, I had with me this little book that I was telling you about last week, Every Moment Holy, a book of liturgies for all of life. And so I looked it up and yes, there was a liturgy for stargazing. And so as we stood there and looked at that universe limitless in scope and beauty. I read this. Constellations rise and ascend the staircase of the night at your command, O Lord. Galaxies spin like dancers. Space and time bend and bow to the gravity of your great will. In such holy wonders, baptize our imaginations that we might ever be a people shaped by awe at your eternal power and a people moved to worship by revelations of your divine nature. Awaken our hearts now to beat in the rhythm to the dance of your creation. Tune our ears to hear the songs of stars in their trillion-fold choruses, bearing witness to your glory, your power. And it goes on. That's the purpose of the universe. Anyone who studies it and isn't led to worship is missing it. This is the great joy of the Christian person. 
Anyone in the world can look at the universe and be in awe, but the Christian person takes it up and over the edge. This is not just when it comes to looking at the stars. This is, this is eating steak cooked well. Anyone can enjoy it. The Christian person, for the Christian person, uh, so, so if I'm not a Christian, I enjoy the steak, right? I enjoy it, and then it's over. For the Christian, I enjoy it, and it leads me to a worship service. Thank you, God, for cows that taste like this. Hallelujah. So this is, this is, this is a great weapon. If you think the war is for my heart every moment of every day, that I should fulfill my purpose to worship God in every situation. That war, in that war, one of your great weapons is everything that God has created. If you're a parent, this is key. With your children, I know many of us struggle to do our, you know, family devotions and pray with our kids. And do. Look, if you're having trouble with that more formalized discipleship, keep trying, keep going. God will bless it. But have along with it every moment of every day as an opportunity to point them to the glory of God in the things he's made. You walk out of here today, you see those trees full of foliage? That's your first teaching moment. Your dinner tonight, whatever it is, thank you, God, for providing this meal. But beyond that, not just that we have something, but it's this good. We have pizza and Coke Zero. What? Praise the Lord, my soul. This is why we end up at 50 minutes. Sorry, I'll come, I'll come back. Where, where are we? Verse 5 and 6. This is our weapon. See God working in everything. Every moment holy. Every moment of every day, every interaction with God's created world is an opportunity to call your soul and your loved ones to worship. And the best thing about doing this with your kids, I remember doing this with India when she was newborn, like a tiny little jelly bean. I would carry her around outside and just say, India, that is a spider's web. That is incredible. Right? And you do this. You do this from infancy to adulthood because kids get it better than we do. Kids are young enough to know what it is to be in awe. There's this guy, a Roman Catholic theologian, author, journalist, prolific, one of the great minds of the modern age, G.K. Chesterton, who wrote a book called Orthodoxy, which I recommend you read. And he speaks so powerfully about this, the receptivity we should have to God's goodness and creation, his fingerprint that's on everything he's made, and the ability, great ability of children to lead us older people into awe and worship. 
So I've got a little quote here from him and just, just tune into this. He says, because children have a bounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. Because he's, he's, he's trying to anticipate the, this the adult cynicism. Oh, I don't care. I've seen that tree 5,000 times walking out of church. Who cares? Adults get fed up even when the monotonous thing is beautiful, right? So he's trying to, trying to counter that by saying, look at children, they love it. You, you go to a baby and say, pick a boo, it's the 10,000th time you've done it, and he's cackling and thinks it's the best thing in the world, right? And he says, God's like that too. It's possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy for we, older ones, we have sinned and grown old and our father is younger than we. Call your kids to worship. They'll get it before you do and so then you can follow them into it. All right, we've got to wrap this up. Listen, this is, this is the wonder of wonder comes at the end. Even in the midst of wonders of the universe, stars and galaxies and seas and mountains, even against all of those wonders, the wonder of wonders comes at the end. Let's read verse 6 to 9. He says, The maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, he remains faithful forever executing justice for the exploited, giving food to the hungry. The Lord frees prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects resident aliens and helps the fatherless and widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Here's, here's the wonder of wonders. The creator of galaxies cares about you. The orphan, the widow, the single mom, the recently bereaved, the single person wishing they were married, the abused child, the divorced woman. I mean, all of us. God cares for each one. That's the wonder of wonders. That's how to experience the fullness of the awe that I've been talking about that leads us to worship is to see the galaxy and then say, and he loves me. Again, Psalmist Psalm 8 is what he goes through, right? I look at the stars and I think, why do you care about me? God made the world and God loved the world in this way. He gave his only son. Now, in response to that, we are called, called 
to praise because God is worthy. We're going to do that in a minute. Called to pray because God cares for us. We're going to do that after we praise. We praise because he's the maker of everything and he's the only one who is worthy to sit on the throne. And we pray and intercede because he cares for us. He executes justice for the exploited. He gives food to the hungry. He heals those who are sick. He opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And so we humbly come before him in prayer. Let's do it now. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for your word to us. This beautiful song, this poem that calls us to fulfill our purpose as people. For those here this morning, Lord, for those here this morning experiencing purposelessness, for those of us who are experiencing dryness, waywardness, for those of us who are eating the food and drink of our own folly and sin, please call us back to yourself. For those of us who are self-indulgent, investing in our own legacy, in our own idolization, please call us away from worthlessness into worship. For all of our children gathered here today, please preserve their sense of wonder at the world around them. Enable them to exult in monotony all of their life. I pray that our children would lead us out of this place into worship today. Do it for your glory, please, Lord. Bless us as your people. Make us more like your son. Help us to fulfill the reason you created us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, stand up with me. We're going to give God the praise that he's due.